The World Nomads Podcast Bonus Episode. Here amazing nomads sharing their knowledge, stories and experience of world travel. We are world nomads, right? We all love the idea of chucking in the day job and hitting the road, but sometimes it's hard to take that first step. Yeah, love the idea. Fear not though, inspiration is at hand. One of our listeners, and we should say hi to Shannon, emailed us about her friend Dan Pearson from the Bulk Collective. Dan has visited over 50 countries, but it started with one particularly memorable trip, three months walking across Cuba. Dan Pearson, welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Phil. I'm thrilled to be with you guys. All right, look, we'll get to the Cuba trip in a moment, but that's true, isn't it? There's, yeah, you need to overcome some fear and take that first step. What was your first step? Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, for that Cuba trip, it actually started all the way back in San Francisco. So I was um, working in technology back in 2014 um, at a great company, great friends, great life, but realized it's kind of just ready for something else. I started taking 30-minute long walks during the day, then hour-long walks during the day, two-hour long walks during the day, and realized I just wanted to be outside all the time. Um, so quit my job. Two weeks later, I was riding a bicycle from Seattle, Washington, down to the Florida Keys across the United States um, with the intention of, of getting to uh, Florida and finding a boat and if money and motivation allowed, um, going over to Cuba and, and, and doing some exploration. Why Cuba? Was that one of your bucket list places? Sure. Um, you know, I think it holds a special mystique. I'm, I'm from the United States. I'm American. I think it holds a special mystique uh, for, for us, um, just given all the history and um, I mean, now more than uh, more than 50 years since the revolution, almost 60. Um, and as someone who has been lucky to travel all over Latin America, through Mexico, all the way down to uh, the very southern tip of, of South America in, in Patagonia, um, that was one place I just never had the chance to explore and, and was so interested in, in learning more. But of course, as an American, it, it, at that time, it would have been nigh on impossible to get there. But that changed whilst you were on your trip. Tell me about that. Exactly, exactly. So uh, I got down to New Orleans after about 3,000 miles of riding my bicycle. Um, and this kind of series of call it coincidences, spiritual stuff in New Orleans, you'd probably call it voodoo, uh, made me realize my bicycle trip was over. And I had this pretty huge crisis of identity, right? I, I quit this wonderful job in San Francisco. Um, and, and my whole being was wrapped up in that bicycle trip, but realized that trip was over. Um, and through a series of kind of whatever you want to call them, however spiritual, deep you want to go. Um, it all culminated in December 17, 2014, which was uh, the the announcement of the, um, the beginnings of, of the relationship kind of turning around between the United States and Cuba, led by um, Barack Obama and Raul Castro and brokered by the Pope. Um, so actually that, that morning I saw that remembered because as I'd mentioned, as I mentioned a bit earlier, that the intention of the trip was actually to go to Cuba in the, in the first place. Um, so, uh, ho hope the U S government isn't listening, but basically I, I printed out, uh, a fake itinerary, uh, to fly to London, went down to the U S passport office in new Orleans, went up to the window and, uh, because I needed a new passport expedited, I needed um, proof and I needed an explanation of, of why I needed the passport so quickly. So I told the woman, um, I said, you're never going to believe this crazy story, but was on Bourbon Street a couple nights ago, met a beautiful English girl, and I'm following her back to London. And I had the ticket to back it up. Uh, and two days later, I had a passport. And uh, 10 days after that, I was in Havana. Nice, nice little lie as well, by the way. I like that one. <laughs> Yeah, I'd, li I'd like to call that a white lie. That's, yeah, that's one of those absolutely. white lies. That's what we'd call it. 
So tell me your first impressions of uh, Havana. I mean, it's it's a really spectacular, magical city that I would compare in many ways, actually, to New Orleans, um, which is a place that I lived for, for so long. There was that kind of um, almost mystical connection going from New Orleans to Havana. Both have such uh, heavy African influence um, and were both major slave ports uh, during the time of slavery. Um, and that African influence is, is just everywhere in the music and the dance and the art. Um, and it's really, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I could, I could spend, I think 30 years in Cuba. Um, and I might just be as turned around as, as when I got there that day, because there's just so much, um, so much to learn and so much to see and, and so many different perspectives to take into account to really try to get to the bottom of, um, of everything that that's, that's happened there in the past 60 years. So was that part of your motivation for saying, right, I'm going to see as much of it as I can. I'm going to walk across the entire country. Yeah. So I've been on, <laughs> it's funny. I've been on that bicycle trip, just had this urge to kind of slow down even further. So you can imagine traveling at, at seven or eight miles or 13 or 14 kilometers an hour. And then, um, having just an urge to even slow it down further. Um, and there were some logistics around, uh, getting Getting my bike down there that seemed pretty challenging and then i actually i don't know if some of your some of your some of the folks out there have um seen that movie uh with reese witherspoon called wild um, yeah. that's about uh her her trek through the sierra nevada um on the pacific crest trail but um saw that and and you know in the kind of 10 days in between ending my bike tour and starting that walk I was just like you know what i'll just walk <laughs> which uh yeah turned out to have its own set of unique challenges um but also obviously just so fulfilling what were the challenges? So, I mean, ca- carrying um, enough food, enough water. I mean, in a lot of a lot of places outside of Havana, Cuba, while everyone has enough, um, that's that's something that's that's obvious. Everyone has enough in Cuba. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean there's uh, enough to um, share. Somebody coming to a small town at night and um, looking for for food. So, always making sure to carry food. I mean, I, I got caught out without water. Um, at one point, uh, I've been walking along the coast for about 35 miles in pretty much um, completely empty country, uh, and I ran out of water. And I was honestly at that point delirious, and there just off in the distance, almost a mirage appeared. Um, and it was this guy on horseback, and he came towards me, uh, looking at me like I was absolutely insane. You know, a white guy kind of sweating profusely with a, a backpack on. Um, walking across the middle of Cuba, uh, and he um, was so gracious. He took my my water bottle, um, this massive water bottle, and uh, galloped off into the distance. Filled it up with with ice cold, literally ice chunks, uh, and the most like pure water, and brought it back to me. And I mean, pretty much saved my life. Um, a lot of us can identify with that culture of, of adventure travel, whether that's something like bicycle touring, or whether that's bungee jumping, or whether that's whitewater rafting cuba just doesn't really have have any of that culture for a lot of different reasons i mean there just isn't really opportunity in a lot of cases to engage in that kind of stuff folks are busy working and kind of uh but also um the the overriding cuban uh sentiment is towards this collective social um outlook towards towards the group or towards the the uh what you call like a, a pueblo, like the people themselves. Um, so there's kind of an aversion to risk, um, which was where I ended up getting into a little bit of trouble because uh, there just wasn't, particularly on the official side of things with, with the Cuban um, police, there weren't really, uh, they didn't really understand what I was getting up to. <laughs> right. So they don't take kindly to people putting themselves in danger. 
They don't. They don't. And, and you can look at that two ways, right? You could say that's that's kind of a, a restriction on on people's freedom, and we should be allowed to explore and um, put ourselves into those situations. And you know, you could look at it another way and say that's why Cuban healthcare works is because they take really preventative kind of uh, social um, outlook on on the well being of the entire community. So, like everything in Cuba, really, you could go either way on and. and uh, really try to look at it in a very flexible way. What does travel mean to you then? What have you learned from it? Absolutely. Um, I think there's there's a lot to be said for learning that really human beings at their basis are all have the same motivation and the same drive and um, that comes around uh, making sure that there's always more opportunity for the people that you care the most about. Um and that takes on a lot of different forms, um, but mostly people want to see, you know, their kids have great access to schools and education. They want safety. They want security. Um, so the more I've traveled uh, throughout the world to places like Cuba or Bolivia or um, some places in Southeast Asia, I'm always struck by uh, by just the, the universality of that concept that, that everyone is really after the same things and thinking about how um, – how we can help give people more access to those those core uh, those those core things, and how I, I'm, uh, how do you take that back to where you are now? I mean, you, you've learned all those things. How do you? Is there any opportunity you have in where you're living now to bring those to life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I try to do it in small ways through through supporting organizations like Kiva through through micro loans. Um, and trying to, when I travel myself and I'm lucky to have an opportunity, both for for work and pleasure to continue to travel, um, to take advantage of of different opportunities. I mean, I was in Rio, um, in June for a wedding. Um, it's been a few days in the favelas there, just learning, um, about the challenges there, uh, and and doing some volunteering there. So I'm definitely a fan of, um, of those opportunities while abroad, uh, to go out and, um, and, and make an impact on, on a local level. And then I think, you know, all of us, particularly, I think, in, in parts of the world like the United States, where there's kind of that imbalance of power, I think it's important to um, to speak to that and to make smart decisions here. Hey, listen, tell me, what's a Brazilian wedding like then? What's a wedding in Rio like? Oh, my God. Well, um, I was very lucky. Uh, I had the chance to meet um, a Brazilian supermodel in Mexico a few <laughs> years back. Very rambling. Uh, lucky have, you. Have since, have, yeah, have since, uh, have since managed to... Um, to become, uh, strangely enough, better friends with her and her uh, now husband. Um, they're two close friends of mine. So uh, they invited me down to their wedding in Rio. That was um, basically uh, the bridal party was seven um, Brazilian supermodels uh, <laughs> and me, and it was great. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I can't go into I can't, I, while I, while I, while I and tell stories about lying to the U.S. government. I am not actually allowed to tell stories about that wedding in Rio because it it, it might offend some listeners. No, it was, it was wonderful. That's it was it was an it was an amazing trip. You don't get to a supermodel's wedding very often. That's that's once that's once in a lifetime. Yeah. I think that one was once in a lifetime. Uh, absolutely, I remember. I mean, I remember in Argentina, all the way in the south of Patagonia, being invited uh, to the wedding of a. Um, of a woman that I'd met on a bus and she was just like, you know, you're, you're always going to be, I think, particularly the further afield you go from, from kind of the, the standard, uh, tourist spots, you're always going to be a bit of curiosity. And yeah, they were so excited to welcome me into that wedding and yeah, weddings. I mean, 
they, they, you know, they made a movie about wedding crashing for a reason, right? It's, it's one of the best <laughs> things out there. All right. Uh, Brazilian supermodel weddings aside, some of your favorite places that you visited out of the 50, just give us a, give, give us a taste of where you've been. Absolutely. Uh, long bicycle tour around New Zealand, north and south islands of New Zealand. Uh, it was wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait yeah. a minute. Bicycle to New Zealand, okay. that's a bit hilly, right? <laughs> That's a bit hilly, and I'll tell you that uh, that Kiwis are, of course, the sweetest, nicest, most wonderful people um, outside of a car. Uh, they are absolute terrors when behind the wheel. <laughs> um, so uh, I was I was by myself, and I got down to the South Island, um, and I would knock on a door um, and say, "Hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm riding my bicycle across New Zealand, I'm wondering if I might pitch a tent in your." Uh, in your paddock and these people would look at me like i was absolutely insane and they would say why don't you come inside and have a hot meal and sleep in a bed <laughs> and it got to the point where if i pulled up to somebody's house and i said hey i've got, I've got my tent mind if i, I pitch my t- you know pitch my tent in your paddock they said yeah go for it I'd, you know what i've got a couple more miles in my legs i think i'm going to keep <laughs> riding and i would just go right next door and of course they would welcome me in um, so i got a little spoiled there but uh, New Zealand is, I mean, just such an amazing place. Um, Mexico, I've, I've now been lucky to spend probably a couple years uh, total in Mexico, traveling throughout Mexico. The the just sheer range of different cultures in Mexico, that's something um, I didn't really know existed, but uh, across food and art and language um, and temperament, there are so many different, and of course, geography and what, what the landscape actually looks like i mean mexico is just as diverse as the united states um so oaxaca in particular down on the coast of oaxaca uh there's a town called masunte which um where i lived for about six months uh and that is just paradise on earth um to me it's the last place in mexico that really uh is not overdeveloped yet still has uh, just the most spectacular landscapes um and beaches uh, so i love mexico I mean, Southeast Asia for like a beach vacation, you can't really be just hanging out in, in, on the beach in Thailand uh, or Indonesia. Um, you're part of the world, Australia. Uh, when I was 18, um, did that that whole uh, kind of East Coast route. Um, I don't think I could survive that at 31. Um, <laughs> but maybe I'm selling myself short, and I should I should give it a shot and try to relive my earlier glory days. Hey, listen, look, you've been generous, oh, generous enough it. to give me your time here, so here's my opportunity to give a little bit back to you. Do you want to talk about uh, the Bolt Collective? What's that about? How can we help out? Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, sure. So that's uh, a new company that I started um, last year. The basic idea. You bring a community of uh, like-minded explorers together, and you use their uh, their collective purchasing power to pool their resources um, to unlock travel experiences. So, a great example of that uh, in January, um, we were down in the British Virgin Islands, and I've been on the phone with these charter companies saying, "Hey, um, we want to rent four catamarans, uh, and we're looking for a forty percent volume discount, um, which takes something that normally would cost a couple thousand U.S. dollars per person." makes it more uh, like $1,200 and just opens those kinds of exclusive um, experiences up to more people. Um, so I think of it as kind of like group travel for, for people who hate group travel because nothing is, is mandatory. It's all optional um, and hopefully provides kind of a, a framework for um, for personal growth and, and folks to uh, meet new, um, new lifelong friends. And how long has that been going? I mean, you've done the BVI. You've had other trips as well. 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, the first experience, the first Bolt experience was down in Oaxaca um, over New Year's. So uh, brought folks down to that town um, that that I lived in for six months. We rented out this entire compound of treehouse villas. Um, and every day there's just an optional piece of programming, whether it's uh, folks jumping into a, a Temescal, which is um, the native sweat lodge and having a ceremony. Another day we chartered a boat and went whale watching out to a, uh, a private beach. Um, New Year's Eve dinner uh, right there on, on, on the beach in town. Um, so really trying to bring a sense of, apart from bringing amazing people to amazing places, like really trying to bring um, like a sense of, of design and make these experiences really thoughtful and uh, kind of the, the adjectives that come to mind are unexpected, delightful, um, really thoughtful. So yeah, so we've done three of them now. Uh, Oaxaca, um, we were down in the British Virgin Islands with our our fleet of catamarans, um, which was also spectacular, uh, or maybe that's not quite the right word, but just a, a really um, amazing, important time to be there in the wake of, of Irma uh, and Maria, the hurricanes that came through back in um, August and September, and just seeing the resilience of um, of the the Caribbean people um, and, and folks living down in the Caribbean. Um, they're they're rebuilding and they're 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 there to stay. How can people make contact with uh, the Bolt Collective then? Sure. Uh, we're just at www.boltcollective.co, um, or you can type in Bolt Collective. Uh, you know, it'll come up with our Instagram, uh, Twitter, website. Um, and, yeah, I think you know, we're, we're looking for people. It's, it's, it's a bit of a different community um, in that we're organized around uh, things like adaptability, adventurousness, curiousness, uh, are people just generally really nice people? Um, so those are the kind of folks that we're trying to attract and that we um, have a bit of a, a uh, an interview process for. Um, so if that sounds like it's up your alley and, and folks are thinking maybe um, any of those experiences uh, kind of pique their interest, yeah, we're, we're pretty easy to find out there on the Internet. Dan, thanks very much, mate. You are an amazing nomad. Thank you so much for spending some time to tell us about some of your travels. Hey, cheers, Phil. Hope to see you in Australia soon. We will have a link to the Bolt Collective in show notes. And by the way, Dan's professional background is in the production of events for brands like Airbnb and the Rockefeller Foundation. He's also the creator of Subway Sets, a sold-out concert series bringing New York's best underground musicians up to rooftops above the city. Love that. Yes, please. If you know an amazing nomad we should feature, email us, podcast at worldnomads.com. You can find our bonus episodes alongside the World Nomads podcast. Podcast on iTunes. Amazing nomads. Be inspired.